0: This week's Sheer is on the 6th parak of Avos. Uh, a word about that, um, technically speaking, Sechas Avos is actually only 5 Prakim of Mishnayos, and this 6th parak is a collection of Brysos, uh, which are all about the theme of Torah, which is why this is often referred to as Parak <coughs> Kinyan Torah. Uh, moreover, we don't know exactly, exactly when 6th uh, parak became popularly appended to Perkei Avos, but we have very, very, very ancient uh, texts, uh, going back to the Geonim and others uh, who already list the sixth Perek along with the other five Prakim, and it seems to coincide with when the minhag started to study the various Prakim of Mestachas Avos in between Pesach and Shavuos, the very minhag that is the basis of our weekly shear. and therefore uh, they wanted to have after Pesach, six weeks of shurim, six weeks of study, I should say, six prakim, and with Avos only being five, they were short one, and therefore they added a sixth. Moreover, as some mafarshim point out, the structure of Avos as we now have it with the sixth peric is quite beautiful, as the entire structure of Avos really is an expression of the adage, derech eretz, Kadma LeTorah, because the first five Prakim are, roughly and broadly speaking, about Derech about Midos and becoming a better person and more of those type of things. And then the sixth parak is about Torah. So you have Derech the first five Prakim Kadma LeTorah leading into the final parak about Torah and all of that is the perfect uh, preparation, especially to focus on Derech to get to Shavuos, the Chag of Kabbalah's Matan Torah. So, so many rich, uh, brysos or mishnayos, as you were, as it were, uh, and meant to choose from in Perek but I wanted to study specifically the Mishnah or brisa of Perek number Dalid, in which we are taught famously, Kachi Darka Shel Torah. This is the way of Torah, Paspa Mach Tochal. You have to eat your bread with salt, only eat bread with salt bit you should only drink small amounts of water sleep on the ground live a life of privation amel and you will uh, you have tremendous hard work in your torah and imata if you do all of this very very difficult things then quoting from the postik and per kafhet ashracha vitovlacha what does that mean ashracha vitovlacha that seems to be redundant Praiseworthy is you, or fortunate are you, ashrachash, fortunate are you, betovlecha, and good for you, it seems to be the same thing, ashrachabolamazah, betovlecha l'olam haba. Not only will it be good in the olam haba, seems to be the Kiddush, that's obvious, but even ashrachabolamazah, it'll even be fortunate, even will you will be fortunate, it'll be good for you in this world as well. That is the text of this Mishnah or Bryce as we have it. And really, I think there are two basic questions which are. Perhaps really one question, which is, what? how do we understand the opening phrase of this Mishnah? That seems to be the key. Chachi shel Torah. This is the way of Torah. Does that mean, which perhaps is the simple way to read it, but does that really mean that it has to be that way? This is the derech. If you want to achieve mastery of Torah, if you want to become a Torah scholar, if you want to become a Tamachacham... Darka. This is the way, capital T, so to speak, the way Kachidarka shel Torah. Is that really true? Uh, which is perhaps another way of asking a second question, or again, perhaps it's just one question, which is, who is the Mishnah really speaking to? Is it speaking to all of us? Is it only speaking to people who are poor? Is it Dafka speaking to people who are well off? What exactly? Who exactly is the target audience of this mishnah? Again, perhaps that's just another way of asking. Uh, the more the original question, which is, what exactly do we mean by giving all these examples of living with such uh, basic to barely any uh, material pleasures—eating bread and salt, salt and bread, uh, water, uh, that kind of thing, sleeping on the floor? What are we talking about, and what, why is this the case? What exactly is the message here of this Mishnah or abrisa? So, I'd like to suggest <clears throat> that, broadly speaking, there are two approaches. Uh, to this. The first, I think, is most comprehensively, or not exclusively, expressed in the writings of Rav Chaim the Ruach Chaim, in his parish to Perkiavos, And he basically views this Mishnah, perhaps you could say Bepashtus, simply, as a prescription for how to acquire Torah. That is to say, this Mishnah is an anthem or a banner for living in ascetic, or if not fully ascetic, then at least a very minimalist, from the material perspective, a minimalist life. Torah, in essence, we're being taught, is incompatible with kashmir's physicality and wealth. Going through the various phrases of the Mishnah, Kab'chayim V'lajnar explains, Kahi shel Torah, this is the path for achieving Torah greatness. You have to make a choice in life. What are you going to pursue? If you pursue Torah, then you will likely be poor. But this is the only thing, this is how it goes. And if you pursue wealth, You will likely not be a Ta'machachem. You know, the choice is is in front of you, the choice is yours. Make your choice. But know, Kachi Torah, that if you choose the Torah, this is how it's got to be. Furthermore, when the uh, Mishnah continues and says, Uba Torah ata Amel, you know, you're going to work hard at Torah, so consistent with that initial explanation, Chaim Volozhner continues and says, that Torah ata Amel, this must be your focus. Because again, it's all about the choice you have to make. If you focus on a life of comfort, you'll always be occupied with earning money to sustain that lifestyle, and you'll never be able to omel, be work hard in the Torah. But if on the other hand, you choose the darko Shel Torah, and you are therefore willing to live a life of privation, then you'll be able to ube Torah at to omel. Now, the Rambam uh, in Hichas Talmud Torah does not explicitly uh, interpret the mission this way at all. In fact, Perhaps uh, an additional comment of the Rambam we'll mention in a few minutes may be consistent with another way to read this Mishnah. But this idea that we have seen from Rechaim Veloziner perhaps at least is consistent with one statement of the Rambam in Hilkas Talmud Torah and Perak Gimel Halachas in which the Rambam describes a very common rationalization or procrastination of people who don't learn. And it's actually fascinating to me to see that what is still so common and prevalent in our society evidently was not, is not at all new, the Ramam describes it as well. Shemet Tomar, the Ramam says, lest the person say to him or herself, mamon I, I do want to learn, of course I want to learn, but first I need to make money. First let me go out and work, I'll work hard, I'll spend my years making money. Ek and only once I have that, me iske, me and only after that, then I'll retire, you know, so to speak, in the good years, and then I'll be able to learn. Says If that's your plan, you can pretty much, you know, mail it in right now. It's not going to succeed. You're not going to get the crown of Torah with this type of procrastinating uh, and rationalization. rather Basically, it's you, you, the, when's you know when's the time to start? Today, even if you're young, even if you're in the beginning or the middle of your career, you have to say, you know what, I am working. Ramam does not say not to work here. Ramam says you have to say the main passion and pursuit of my life is my Torah. and I'm going to pursue that even now. And you can't say what might sound like a reasonable thing listen, instead of trying to give X percent of my time to Torah now, and that's going to take away from my earning power, I'll just focus on my the good years of earn my earning years, and then the last X number of years of my life, then I can devote to learning. After all, the Rambam, even if that was good in theory, who says that'll ever happen? Shemelo tifneh. Maybe you'll never make enough money, maybe Rahman al-Islam you'll die suddenly or, you know, prematurely, etc. It's just not a plan that can be counted on. So... Again, even though the Rambam in this case is not quoting our Mishnah at all, but nevertheless, that idea which the Ruach Chaim was interpreting our Mishnah with, that is to say, it's about making a choice. And if you choose to focus a life of Torah, know that it will most likely come with material privation. So the Rambam more or less was acknowledging that as well, at least in the foil, when he was basically saying, don't think you can have the opposite. Uh, just one more point from Rav Chaim Veloshner, just consistent with his entire approach, when you get to the last phrase of the Mishnah, the Chiddush, that even, not only is it good in the next world, but Ashrecha Tovlach, that even in this world it could be good. So Rav Chaim Veloshner very beautifully explains that the Chiddush is, that if you focus your life on Torah and spiritual matters, Ruchnius, then it can even be Ashrecha v'tovlach, because even if you're poor, but if you're happy with that, you're happy with your lot, you made your choice, you know it's your choice, and you chose to prioritize, becoming a having a spiritual life of ambition, then you will be rich, rich in what you chose to accomplish. And here, this of course is consistent with what we learned at 2 Prakim earlier, in the beginning of Paragdalat of Maseches Avos, is huashir, hasamech b'chalko, if you're happy with your lot. So that, that also means, you know, I choose to make money and I make only a modest amount, but if I'm happy with that, that's better than making a huge amount, but being unsatisfied, which is of course true, and that is definitely part of the psychology that the Mishnah is teaching us, unquestionably. But Rucham V'Lezer and others are pointing out that it's also true, not so much in how much money you make, as you know, versus more or less. But if the choice is between a pursuit of a life of Torah with minimal focus on the material, as opposed to the opposite, a primary focus on the material with little to no focus on the spiritual, well obviously if you choose the former you're not going to have that much money, and yet, says Ruchayim, it could still be, ba'olam hazeh. and in fact you will be rich in the sense that you will be sameach because if you are whole with, and you have a certain level of agency, you will take ownership over that decision, you made the choice to focus on that, and therefore there's nothing to be unhappy about because what you chose what you wanted, that's what you chose, and you got it. You spent a life learning Torah, became a Tamachacham, and therefore, as opposed to people who are pursuing a life of luxury, who may still be miserable because they never, because ne- it's never enough, you, on the other hand, who have pursued a life of Torah, and this is an idea which you can find uh, fully developed, and more fully developed in the midrash Shmuel, uh, who also uh, focuses on this idea of the Mishnah, that by you saying, you know what, I'm not running after the almighty dollar, so to speak. I'm focusing on that spiritual, and therefore, it's going to be even good for you in this world, because you're actually going to be an ashir, in the sense that even though you have very little, you're going to be happy because you made that choice. And the reality is, without being a blasé or overly simplistic about it, probably most of us, and I certainly can say personally, I know people exactly like this. You look at them, they seem to have almost nothing. And they're beaming. And I have to say, something that is particularly uh, touching, Again, I'm not saying it's always the case, but I do know cases where this is is certainly true, not only are they beaming, their children seem to have a certain glow and happiness, and you look at them and they have so little, and it could be many children living in very small quarters, etc., etc., and they're just, you know, couldn't be a happier bunch, because... You know they have prioritized Torah and Ruchnius, and if they have that in abundance, they truly feel that they're the blessed ones, and Nebuchadnezzar and the rest of us who perhaps do not have that. And of course, the flip side is the other extreme, which again we know to be the case. Whether it's to take the extreme examples and the famous examples in the world of uh, media or professional sports or other such things, or just in general, uh, it's you know again, it's certainly not true. Not to be not to paint with too bro- overly broad a brush. Or to think that one size fits all, that's clearly not the case. But it is true, we all know this to be true, that some of the most miserable people in the world are the most wealthy people in the world. The the money does not necessarily bring happiness at all. First of all, because there are other things in life that can make you unhappy no matter how much money you have. Moreover, sometimes the very pursuit of money itself makes the person miserable, makes their children uh, less than productive, etc. And therefore, more or less, that is how these mafarshim, most notably Rebbechai are understanding this Mishnah. Before we see another approach to the Mishnah, just to mention briefly uh, a few other sources that more broadly uh, make this point and perhaps explain it a little better, let's drill down, which is that we have other, you know, definitely have sources in Chazal uh, that speak about the zero sum game between the spirit and the body and the, the need to make a choice and that each one comes at the expense of the other. For example, the Gemara in Gittin, which is also a Gemara in Shabbos, it says, Ein Torah en el The only way you can have Torah is if you're willing to die for it. May Kill yourself for the Torah. So simply, it sounds like, you know, just... Um, willing to work hard. But the Marsha says it's more than that. The Marsha says, what does it mean, Mamus? Mamus gufo umasalik mimeno moser hataiva. That is to say, you quote-unquote kill the more physical part of yourself. You literally try to rid yourself of your more physical desires so that you can focus on the spiritual. Again, the presumption being that if you have the physical desires, you won't pursue the spiritual. Therefore, so to speak, remove, excise that part of you. Again, other sources uh, make this point again, which perhaps could be in a somewhat more mystical uh, vein, uh, which the Maharal for sure says, which is that simply a life of physicality and physical pleasure is incompatible with spiritual uh, and with Torah. And if you want to be a suitable receptacle, a suitable kibul for the Torah, the Torah is a spiritual. Uh, material so you need to be a to be a suitable host for that spiritual material, you need to make yourself spiritual to be compatible with the Torah. Uh there's a beautiful and very strong and vivid expression that is mentioned by Rabbi Bahayay in his Chobos Labovos in the Shar Cheshbon and I've heard this from one of my rabbin, Rabbi Meir Tversky, He's fond of quoting this formulation where Rabbi where the Chavos also makes this point, that we simply cannot have both. We have to be uh, mature enough, and sort to of be grown up enough to realize that for most of us in life, there are choices, because you can't get everything. And says the Chavos Hamay Vaish. Just like in one Kli, in one receptacle, you could not maintain or sustain both fire and water. They're just incompatible with each other. You can have fire or water, but not both. You got to have one love, and if the love is olam hazeh, this world, material, etc., you're not going to be able to have the spiritual. On the other hand, if you have if your ava is olam haba, then you should know you'll hopefully get the spiritual, but it will come at the expense of most likely not having the physical. One or the other. Um, that might be mystical, but it also might be about just making choices. And you know, there's only 24 hours in the day. Moreover, uh, the more, so to speak, spoiled or uh, comfortable we are, so it's also human nature. I think this is a, a human psychology, which again can be can be overcome. It has been overcome, but as a general rule, uh, has a lot of truth. And that is that you know, when a person is very comfortable, they're often not going to work as hard. Uh, this is true not only for Torah. Uh, when you know, this is the phenomenon of you know people who grow up in very wealthy families very often are not motivated to succeed in any field, forget becoming rich, uh, but, but in any field, and very often uh, are unproductive, uh, forget financially, just are unproductive people, so this is something the Gemara already, perhaps uh, alludes to, the Gemara says in the Dharam Daf Pe'alif, He's Haru Bivnei Aniyim Kimihem Torah, you know, you should be very careful when you see young know, kids, or the children of poor people, because you should know, one day they're going to become the Gedolim, what's that going to do with poverty? So, one interpretation the Ben Yehoyada and others say is because since the children of Aniyam are not growing up spoiled with pleasure or luxuries they're going to work hard they're going to pick themselves up you know, by the bootstraps and make them something of themselves it could be in other fields too but certainly in Torah and I think it's the case even in our generation and certainly in uh, other generations as well we have a lot of very famous examples of a lot of uh, tremendous gedolim who grew up in tremendous privation and the stories about what they were willing to endure and do without in order to focus on their learning Uh, is really what what grew them. Had they perhaps grown up more comfortably, who knows if they would have been willing to work as hard and to sacrifice as much. So Adkan is one very prominent way of understanding the Mishnah, perhaps somewhat extreme, perhaps hard for some of us to hear, but maybe, you know, maybe it's a little bit of a tough love that we all need to think about and see how we can incorporate in our lives. However, there's a second approach to the Mishnah, which does not see this as an anthem, so to speak, uh, or an advocate for asceticism or necessarily physical minimalism as much as a beautiful expression of the love that a person must have for Torah and the willingness to sacrifice if necessary and that willingness to sacrifice being a barometer for how much they truly love the Torah. What do I mean? So Rashi and his Talmidim and the Machs Vitri, they explain the mission differently. Not Kahi Darkashatar, this is what you must do, but rather, this is what you must be willing to do. Not that you can't learn if you have some material comforts. The question is, what if you didn't? Would you still be willing to learn, even if it meant Mal tochal? Would you still be willing to learn, even if it meant umayim b'mesurah Tishta and Allah art tishan, etc., etc.? If you're willing to learn, despite if, even if it comes at a great cost, even if it is in the most minimalist conditions, that is a barometer of how much you love Torah and how much you're willing to hard to work. That no matter what, you will persevere. You won't let anything prevent you from learning. Not that it has to be that way. Not that there's something mutually exclusive between some level of physical comfort and Torah. But rather, what are you willing to endure? That's a barometer, that question. Would you be willing to learn even in those conditions? The Medr Shmuel, uh, obviously writing a few uh, hundred years after Rashi, but the Medr Shmuel also uh, makes this point as well when it came to the phrase of uh, Mayim Yishta. He also talks about this, that even if that's all you could afford is a Mayim. That's why the Mishnah, he says, uses the term Mayim. You can't afford wine or something more expensive, but all you can afford is water. And even in terms of the bedding, you can't afford proper bed and sheets. You'd have. Even if, 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 even if you were so poor, but would you be willing to do that? If that's what it took to get Torah, then you can kachi dar Torah. In other words, the Mishnah, according to this interpretation, is not about material privation as a positive per se, but rather as a question of how much love of Torah do you have and what are you willing to sacrifice for Torah. Uh, this is reminiscent of the Gemara in Yuma, Daflam, and hey, Amaral, a very famous Gemara, where the Gemara says that Hillel, the famous Tana Hillel was Machayev the Anim. That is to say, someone is very poor, and one day after 120 years, they're asked by the heavenly court, by the and Shamalah, "How come you didn't learn so much in your lifetime?" And the person thinks they have a very good defense, a very reasonable response. "How could I learn Torah? I was so poor, Nebuch, and I never had uh, the peace of mind to be able to sit and learn because I was always too starving and to worry where uh, my next meal will come." like Mara says, "Well, Hillel is Makhayev, because no one could be poorer than Hillel. We know the famous story with Hillel. He was so uh, poor, had nothing to eat, even almost." rose to death on the roof of the base medrash and it didn't matter Hillel was willing to do anything to learn even though he couldn't even afford to get in if Hillel could do it what's your excuse and the round bomb- you know, paraphrases this idea in the beginning of Hichas Talmud Torah in Perek Aleph where the Rambam says call Ishmi Yisrael b'talmud Torah. everyone is Chayiv in Talmud Torah, whether you're rich or you're poor whether you're healthy or you're unfortunately unhealthy whether you're young or whether you're older it doesn't matter what your personal situation is or circumstances or physical health or anything like that or if you're an Ani or if you're an Ashir whether you're poor and on handouts or you're very very wealthy if you're single which has certain challenges or if you're married with children that has other challenges in terms of your time, etc. It doesn't matter. Everyone is everyone must learn. It doesn't matter how poor or rich, how healthy or unhealthy, God forbid, how busy or not you are. Everyone must learn. So this is again similar to this idea our mission of focusing on one slice of that, the financial one. Even if you were so poor, would you still be willing to learn? That's the barometer for how much you love Torah and how committed you must be. Uh, continuing to the end of the Mishnah now, in light of this second explanation, on the end of the Mishnah says, that it means not only in the next world, but even in this world. So consistent with this interpretation, Rashi, Machzor, Vitri, all explain based on an earlier Mishnah in Perek Dalid, which actually says there that if you sacrifice for Torah and you're willing to learn even when you're poor, you will be rewarded with wealth even in this world which is quite a bold statement. Not mine. It's the Mishnah in the fourth parak, And, uh, you know, it's a good kasha how can we look around and that doesn't seem to always be the case? People who started off learning when they were poor and eventually uh, got more comfortable financially. Uh, sometimes yes, but uh, not always. But nevertheless, it is a, you know, that's a, tar- that's a good kasha, which I don't have an answer for, but it is a Mishnah in the fourth parak. and these other Mepharshim, the Rashi, and the and the Medrushmul, they quote that earlier Mishnah in their interpretation of our Mishnah, which is to say, if you show that you're willing to go to the mat, you're willing to even learn with no, even if you had no money when you were young and you start out learning, then, Emetz Hashem, as you grow older and more mature, eventually you'll be rewarded. You will be rewarded with some level of material uh, comfort. Now, whether that's you know the best interpretation and the mission or not, and how do you understand that promise in Paragdalid, which we don't always see in our own, with our own eyes. But the bottom line is, what I like about this is that it's consistent with this second approach. That is to say, the bottom line is that money per se is not bad or necessarily incompatible with Torah, but you should be aware. That it could diminish your drive as we, in your motivation, as we saw previously, that, that Gemara, you know talks about how common it is for the children of poor people to become great successes in Torah and in other things, because they have the drive, uh, which sometimes people who are more comfortable do not have. So the point is here also, uh, if when you're younger, you're willing to work hard despite it maybe in the end of your life you will get the money because that's not necessarily going to be incompatible as long as you didn't let it rob you of your motivation uh, and your drive and in fact we have many makoros that speak about the fact that to be overly aesthetic could be bad Dafka even for Torah Rabbi Nachman uh the, the Amor, Rabbi Nachman, is quoted in Baba Kama and in Erevin as admitting in one place that he made a mistake because he hadn't had uh, enough to eat, he had been too ascetic. Or in one place he says, I can't paskin until I have some wine to clear my head and get me in a better uh, position. And I think the bottom line is uh, that, as we might expect, that not only is is moderation an important point, the Ramam speaks about that, but uh, that as the Maharal and others speak about here, uh, to some extent it really will depend on the person. Uh, If a person can uh, be happy and survive with more minimal material uh, surroundings... Less money, less fancy foods and clothing and houses and cars, the uh, Then I think it's just obvious and there's no point in denying that that could be a huge benefit to his ability to be successful in a lot of things, frankly, but especially in learning because you're obviously have less distractions, uh, and less need to spend time on earning a living, which everyone needs to do some, but, but if you have no need for certain things, then that just naturally gives you a greater opportunity to dedicate yourself to uh, material things. On the other hand, says the Maral uh, and others, if a person is honest with him or herself and they know that they're simply not going to be able to live with less than X or Y, whatever that is. So then, says the Maral, that a person needs to make sure that they can get that X or Y, hopefully with a uh, rich. Uh, no pun intended, but a full and rich sense. In, in that sense, a full and rich and meaningful spiritual life. Uh, I think you know we saw in the beginning that uh, you know one of the sources that we had seen previously about you know choosing one over the other. Yes, it's true. If it really meant choosing one to the exclusion of the other, then it would be hard to, uh, to defend uh, anybody choosing just the material over the spiritual. But that's what the marala is saying: is that you can never choose just the material. But on the other hand, if you know that you need certain levels of material or creature comforts, then the balanced approach by having those uh, is absolutely doable. But again, it seems intuitive and obvious and no point in denying that the more materialistic a person is, the more they need, if not everyone enjoys, but the more they need the creature comforts so it would be very likely that, that will come at the expense of a lot of things, including their Torah. The less a person needs it and the less a person indulges in it, even if it's with some moderation, then there's going to be more time for a lot of things, including for Talmud Torah. So we saw two different approaches to this idea of kachi darka shel Torah, and imir Tzah Hashem um, you know, one or both of those hopefully will be applicable to all of us. And hopefully, now that we've seen six Prakim of Avos culminating with this uh, sixth parak, hopefully that'll set us up and we'll be ready, Emir to Hashem, for, uh, a great Kabbalah Satorah on this coming Shavuos